since the time of uh, Babel, we are more connected than ever before in history. Everybody has a phone, most people, let me say, have a phone that can connect us really quickly. We've got things like Instagram and Facebook and what David called Tiki Talkie today. <laughs> we have all these different social media uh, so that we can communicate with one another. We have texting and all those different kinds of things. So we are connected with people across the world. We were having a conversation about talking to people in the Philippines, talking about people uh, in India and different uh, situations like that that we have not had access to until recent years. And at the same time, while we have the benefit of being the most connected ever, we're also the most disconnected ever. Because we'll sit there at our family dinner table and we're all on our phones and we're communicating with everybody but who's in the room. And so we're really not developing these real deep, good, quality relationships. And sometimes we need to consider those things. What do we miss when, when we're just focused on those things that we see on social media and things like that? We miss the one-on-one. -on -one. We miss the real developing of relationships that we can have with one another. When does it finally get real? It gets real when we interact. It gets real when we make sacrifices. It gets real when we do things for people. The Bible says a man that has friends must show himself friendly. If we have more Facebook friends, virtual friends, if you will, than we do real friends, there might be an issue. We need to be careful about these types of relationships. And I want to talk about those things because I want to talk about these types of relationships and what our mission is. So again, this evening, we're going to talk about the mission of the church. And here we have the mission of the church. Matthew 28 says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And that is the mission of the church. You know, we often think about following God, about doing the right things, and saying the right things, acting in an appropriate manner, and all those things are needful, and all those things are okay in and of themselves, but once again, that's not the mission. What's at the heart of the mission? People. Relationships. That's what's at the heart of the mission. And so we need to be careful and make sure that the goal isn't to make sure that we're doing things right, we're saying things right. That's not the goal. That's legalism. That's Phariseeism. Jesus was about people, and we're going to show this evening that that indeed was the case. You know, when Jesus fulfilled his mission, he did away with the sacrifices of old, the sacrifices that demanded perfection out of the lamb that you would be bringing, the oxen that you would be bringing. Instead, he came to bring about a better life with a better covenant, with better promises. And he says, I've come that you might have an abundant life. Don't you want an abundant life? That abundant life is found in the relationships that we have with people around us. We want to live where we encounter people that we're not afraid 
of people taking advantage of us or afraid of what people might do to us or look for opportunities ourselves to take advantage of somebody else. That's not the kind of things that we need to be involved with. But what we want to do is see people as God sees them. As someone who's His, made by the Creator, loved by a Savior. That's how we need to see people. Everybody. That's how we need to see everybody. And to kind of see all of this, I want to think about where Jesus was as we talk about the heart of the mission. And the heart of the mission, again, is those relationships. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 17, it says, Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them. And we're going to talk about in just a moment what he said to them. But this is what was going on. They were in Jericho and they were on their way to Jerusalem. And so he's going to tell them what was going to happen to him. And what was going to happen to him is recorded in Matthew 20, Mark chapter 10, and Luke chapter 18. In all three of these accounts, he says that he is going to go to be betrayed. Now he doesn't mention Judas here, but he does say he's going to be betrayed. And he's going to be turned over. He's going to be turned over to condemnation, where he was going to be condemned to die, as we'll see in just a moment. He was going to be delivered to the Gentiles, which we know at that time was the Romans. So he would be delivered to them so that he could be mocked and spit on, so that he could be scourged, and so that he could be killed by crucifixion. And then he even tells them, on the third day, I'll rise again. So that's what he comes to tell them. And why he's going to Jerusalem. They are leaving Jericho to go into Jerusalem for that purpose. But in Luke's account, we find this. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not know the things which were spoken. They didn't get it. They had this different picture of what was going to happen whenever the Messiah came. So they didn't understand it. They thought that he was going to be a political leader, not a spiritual leader. They thought that he was going to sit on the throne of David and restore Israel. And so him dying and being scourged and delivered to the, to the Romans, that dis, doesn't make sense. It, it's not computing with them. And so they didn't understand these things. And a little later on in Luke's account, because it's only in Luke's account that he even mentions that they didn't understand this. But as they're drawing near to Jerusalem now, he says they heard these things. He spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. So they thought, okay, now we're coming into Jerusalem, even though he just told them what he told them. Now they come close and they're still confused. And he knows that because they, they're thinking, okay. It's about to happen. It's about to get real. He's going he's gonna to establish that kingdom again. And so he speaks this parable. And the parable we know as the parable of the pounds, or the parable of the meanest, depending on which uh, translation you're looking at. And the point of the parable of the pounds is that he had to go away into a far country and then return. That's the point of, of that. To tell them, look, I'm not coming to establish this kind of a kingdom. All of that to say this. John chapter 19 and verse 30, he says, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. See, that wasn't the plan. 
The plan was that he was going to go to Jerusalem, he was going to be handed over, he was going to die, and when that happened, it is finished. He fulfilled his mission. So keep that in mind, that that's exactly what Jesus was going to do. He was going to obey his father, and he did. And when he did, he says, I'm done. I've done what I came to do. It's finished. From the time he foretold his death to just approaching Jerusalem, and then going to Jerusalem to fulfill that mission, there are three stories that are in the middle. And those three stories will help to understand the heart of the mission. Because the mission was that Jesus was going to go die, right? That was what he was told and what he needed to accomplish. And on his way from Jericho to that point, three things happened. And I want to look at those stories. Now as we look at those stories, we're going to go in reverse order chronologically from when they happened. And we're going to, try, we're going to apply them to the Great Commission. And the first part of the Great Commission is to make disciples. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means to be a follower of Christ. It means to be a student of Christ. When you have a rabbi and disciple relationship, they, you, that's what you have. They, Jesus was their rabbi in that sense. And they all gave up everything they had and they would go follow him. Think of it today as more of a, a, a mentor relationship. That's what a rabbi would have been, and certainly that's what he's talking about. So he says, go out and make disciples. It was an apprenticeship, if you will. And so he tells us to go and to do that. So how do we do that? Jesus is going to tell us, or actually he's going to show us. And it's in the story of a man named Zacchaeus. I like Zacchaeus because I can really identify with him. You tall people don't understand what I'm talking about. But I, mean, I even remember as a kid, we, you know, the, the Middle City High School used to have the parade at homecoming, and we'd go out to watch the parade. And I'm, you know, I'm that tall, trying to see all these things going by. Dad's six foot two, plop me on top. Man, I can see everything. I can see the whole parade. Well, Zacchaeus didn't have a dad that was six foot two that he could lift up, so he went and climbed a sycamore tree because he wanted to see Jesus. That parade was coming by. And he wanted to discuss things with him. He wanted to talk to him. He wanted to see what this was all about. He heard about this man, and he wanted to be close to him. And so he climbed the sycamore tree in order to find him. But I want you to notice something about what Jesus does. Jesus says to Zacchaeus, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, and he saw him, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Now Jesus had a mission, didn't he? He was on his way to Jerusalem. He told him what he was going to Jerusalem to do. And he says, but I need to spend some time with you. You see, making disciples is not about making sure that we have people sitting in the pew. Making disciples is not about making sure that the collection plate gets full. Making disciples is not about making sure that everybody watches their P's and Q's, but it's an active relationship with the people of God. And making sure that they have an active relationship with Christ. That's what Jesus was doing. Yes, he had a mission, but he didn't forget the real heart of the mission. 
And he stopped and he made time for this man. Because this man needed him. This man had a moment where he needed to talk about what he had done. And he needed forgiveness. And Jesus gave him that forgiveness. That's what it was about. We cannot be effective in our mission unless we build relationships. That's what Jesus did and what he showed us how to do here. He's talking about abiding at his house. I mean, it's hard for me to imagine. I, I know stories of Merle Fielder walking up to people's houses and he'd knock on the door and they'd come to the door and he'd say, do you have any ice cream? And they'd let him in. I don't, if I tried that, I'd get the door slammed on my face. He was just, he had a way about him. That's what Jesus does here. He says, do you have any ice cream? I want to go to your house. Zacchaeus lets him go. He, he wants to talk with Jesus. He spent some time sitting at his table, visiting with him. Now I want you to think about this for just a moment. Why are you here today? What brought you here? Let me, be, let me reword that. Who brought you here? Someone invested in you. Someone took time to teach you. Someone invested in a relationship with you so that you could have a relationship with God. Might have been your parents. It might not have been. Might have been your spouse. Maybe that's why you got married. Because they loved you enough to, to, to talk to, about Jesus to you. I don't know. I don't know your situation. But you are here because someone spent some time working with you to make sure that you knew the story of the cross. That wonderful story that we sang about. So we are going to have to invest in people. That is what we are called to do. We need to share in each other's journeys, share in each other's struggles. Jesus sat down and talked to Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus poured his heart out to him and said, if I've done this, I'll return it fourfold. Jesus didn't say, well, okay, well, you're due. No, he said, I come to save. That's what I came to do. Okay, so let's... Talk about this idea of baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. We read a story again. Again in the middle of this journey between Jericho and Jerusalem. When he's on his way to the mission. We read about these two blind men. Now in Mark's account and in Luke's account they just mention one blind man. Uh, in Mark's account he even names him as Blind Bartimaeus. So evidently he'd been blind for a while. They even had the nickname Blind Bartimaeus. But there were two. Matthew records the two. And they, again, Jesus is walking by and there's throngs of people all around him just like Zacchaeus experienced. <coughs> now, I don't know how tall these guys were, but they were blind. So they were probably kind of in the background. What would they need to be up close for? They can't see anyway, right? That's probably the thinking that was going on. And so they're standing in the background, but they hear about Jesus coming by, and they hear the praises that's coming his way, and they start to cry out and say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. So they cry out for that, and many of the people that were there said, shh, 
Don't bother Jesus. Be quiet. I wonder how many of the disciples did the same thing. How many of us would have been there and we're walking side by side with Jesus and we're making sure that he gets to go where he wants to go and we're right there with him and we hear those blind people and going, okay, let's move along, Jesus. You don't want to be bothered by this. Keep going, keep moving. Shh, don't talk to Jesus. Jesus stops. Jesus stops to talk to him. He says, what do you want me to do for you? He said, we want our sight. He puts his hand on them and he says, receive your sight. And they did. They were healed. They could see. So Jesus had compassion. Notice that word. He had compassion and he touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight. And they followed him. Jesus could be bothered on his way to his mission for healing, to benefit someone, to help someone who was hurting and in pain and desperate for help, in desperate need for healing. Remember we talked about baptism last night. It's a washing, right? If that's not a healing, I don't know what it is. We all need healing. Healing from our sin. And so he is going to, he addresses that here. And no healing can ever take place without us investing ourselves into people. Jesus had to stop what he was doing and invest himself in these people and use his power for healing. So again, we see by example that the heart of the mission is healing people, helping people. And there's one more story we want to talk about. And this idea of teaching to observe. One account talks about the mother of James and John coming forward to ask Jesus this question. The others talk about James and John asking. But they said, when you come in your kingdom, well, one of us on your right hand and the other on your left. And Jesus says, okay, I don't think you really know what you're asking for because the, the baptism that I'm about to be baptized with, you'd have, to be, you'd have to suffer that too. And what he's talking about being overwhelmed with the type of suffering that he was about to endure. He says, if that's what you want, that's what you're asking for. And they said, we'll take it. He says, indeed you will. He says, but for me to give you a place on my right hand or to my left is not mine to give by the fathers. Now the others heard this. You can imagine how they felt about this. The other ten are over there going, can you believe the audacity of James and John? They even got their mother involved, right? They got their mother involved to come and ask Jesus who can sit on the right and the left. So they're mad, they're upset, they're angry. So Jesus tells them a story. He says the Gentiles, they want lordship. That's their desire. They want power. He says, don't let that be you. But if you want to be something in the kingdom, you serve. He says, but for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Knowing Christ, being baptized into Christ, Learning it to observe the things that he's commanded is not 
about being elevated to some status. It's about being demoted to servitude. Because it's about relationships. Jesus made it very clear that we're not here to be served, but to serve. And he did that by his example and what he says to them. So isn't that what we ought to be doing? Shouldn't we be serving one another? Shouldn't we be serving others? A couple of questions. How have you invested in the life of others? Today. How did you do that today? How have you invested in someone else? Today. What did you sacrifice today to make sure that someone else drew closer to Jesus? Because that's what we're talking about. Those who have been baptized. Investing is more than asking each other, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. (laughs) Or I'm okay or I'm well. I always say I'm good. And I know that's bad grammar. I noticed that a lot of people, a lot of you folks say well. Good job. (laughs) But I've been a lot of places that they just, you you reach out your hand and say, how are you doing? I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm fine. The other day I was asking a a sister in Christ how, how she was doing. And before I even asked the question, she said, I'm good. She knew it was coming. That's the way we interact with one another. Shouldn't we be investing a little bit more than that? Now, if you're fine, that's good. We should be celebrating the fact that you're fine. Or even better. But what does fine mean? Do we ever say, you know what? I had a hard day today. I had a rough time. I'm struggling with this or I'm struggling with that. And unless we get invested in one another, unless we build these relationships... We're not going to get past the fine stage. That's all we're going to get. We need deeper relationships than that. If we're going to learn to teach, to observe the things that God has commanded us to do. We need to invest in the relationship because we love each other, because Christ loved us. We need to to serve each, see each other the way God sees each other. When God sees Jonathan... He sees his son. Okay? So you know what that means to me? I need to see Jonathan as God's son. I need to see Jonathan as my brother. And I need to react accordingly. I need to treat him accordingly. Because that's the way it's supposed to be to teach, to observe all the things that he's commanded with him. The fact that all these things took place in the middle of all that, of him leaving from Jericho for telling his death to get to Jerusalem, I do not believe believe that that's an insignificant thing. I believe that that's very significant because of what he was doing was going to accomplish his mission and yet he stopped because the heart of the mission is still people. He was loving people. He was showing us exactly how to do that, to invest in others. Jesus stopped. And he shows us what our mission, here in Pearland, in this community, as the West Side Church of Christ, it should be about relationships. Should we, should we talk about what's right and wrong? Yes, that's part of what it means to teach, to observe all things that I commanded you. But re- realize this, we're all going to struggle with that. 
Every one of us in here, we struggle in some way in our walk with Christ. We all bring baggage, don't we? And everybody brings a little bit different baggage. And there's baggage, some baggage I just don't understand. I can't, I can't relate in some ways to that baggage. My parents got married, I don't know, almost 50 years ago, not quite. And they're still married. I don't know what it's like to be a stepchild. I don't know what it's like to have divorced parents. Some of you do. I don't know what it's like for any of my parents to have abused me. Unfortunately, some of you do. And that's painful. I don't know what it's like to react to people that are reacting to me because my skin is darker. I don't know what that's like. That does not give me an excuse, though, to treat them differently or anybody differently because I can't understand what they're going through from a, a personal level. I can understand, though, that they have struggles and I can give them a little. I can bend a little bit. I can be sympathetic. I can have what Jesus said there. He had compassion on them. I don't know what it's like to be blind. Jesus didn't either. He healed them anyway. He invested in them and we ought to be Investing in each other, having this type of relationship. Far too often as an evangelist, I view church work this way. How many people did I have a study with? How many people were baptized? How many doors were knocked? How many people did we reach on Facebook? All those types of things. By the way, Facebook today is door knocking of yesterday. <laughs> so... I'm looking at, at those types of things. And then I measure everything else. Okay, how many people were at the assembly? How many people were missing from the assembly? Why were they missing from the assembly? And I get so focused on those types of things and I forget about that it's about the family of God. It's about service to one another. Helping one another. Based on the relationship that we have with each other and that is not statistics our people are not merely numbers we're people and we need to be focused on that mission are the members here afraid to talk about how they feel with one another afraid of what might someone might say afraid of what someone might say because of what you said on Facebook or on social media? Comments that you've made? Afraid to tell people that indeed you have hurting, you are hurting, that you have problems, that you have issues, that you have baggage? Is it you? Or is it the other people? Have you invested in them so that they invest in you? Because here's the fact of the matter. You can't control other people. Something I talk to my kids about all the time. You can't control other people. It's You control you. So all I can control is myself. So if I'm limiting the relationship because I'm afraid of what you might think or might say, I need to get over it. And I need to invest in you and share. Share my struggles. Share my problems. But also share my dreams. Because it's more 
than just doing the right thing, saying the right thing. It's about the relationship that we have with one another. Jesus puts it this way. He says, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here, see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is in you. The church is not about a structure, not this structure or any other. It's not about a physical place. It's about what's in you. It doesn't come with observation. It's in you. We are the kingdom. And therefore, the more we look like our master, the more we are discipled, the more people will notice. The better off we'll be. The stronger we'll be. Jesus' love for the brethren, for the lost, for all mankind was a sacrificial type of love. What are you willing to sacrifice for an investment in other people? Because the kingdom is about people. At the heart of the mission is Jesus' great concern for those that need him. Not just the observance, not just the baptism. We can teach baptism to where we miss the point of baptism. Let's don't miss the point. Jesus proved it to us on the way to his mission. This evening, we want to help you because we are family. Because you might have struggles and you might have baggage and you might have issues that need to be dealt with. Though there may be things that I don't quite understand from a personal standpoint, Jesus was tempted in all points just like we are, and he understands it all. He's a God that created you. He knows exactly what you're going through. He also knows exactly the answer that you need. And so let's approach him in prayer. If you need to be washed this evening, if you need healing this evening, be washed in his blood so that you have confidence that you are a part of his family. So if you need prayers in the church or you need to be baptized, please let us know by coming forward and sitting on the front as we stand and as we sing.